I'm going to need this. <laughs> Good morning, Community Grace. I'm going to begin with a story. <clears throat> Back in May 1738, all right, 1738, in London, England, there was a small group of young men. They were all Anglicans, and they were very religious and very moral people. But they were aware of an inside emptiness, and they recognized the religion was all externals. It wasn't alive. It wasn't a living thing. Well, they met together in a little apartment just off of Aldersgate Street in London, and every night they met together to talk about religion and to pray for each other. Two of these men are now today very famous, John and Charles Wesley, brothers. And it's nice that these guys all kept journals so we can get an idea of how they struggled and what their thoughts were and the emptiness they felt with their religious practice. One day Charles went to church and he took the Lord's Supper and he came back and wrote in his journal, received the sacrament, but not Christ. In other words, I'm going through the motions. Receive the sacrament, but not Christ. I don't really know him. I'm not connected with him. One of the men who was coming to this meeting was a man named William Holland. And William Holland one day brought with him a book that somebody had given him. It was Martin Luther's commentary in German on the Galatians. And one day he asked Charles Wesley to read part of the introduction to him because he couldn't read German. And Charles got to these words of Martin Luther. What have we nothing to do? No, nothing but accept of him who God has made for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption, Jesus Christ. And in William Holland's journal for that night, he wrote these words. At those words, I broke through, and suddenly power came on me, and I knew who he was. And he became a Christian that night. It's interesting that Wesley was reading those words to William Holland. And he noticed that William Holland's life was just changed in front of him. And yet, listen to the words that Wesley wrote in his journal that night. We can read this. He wrote down, Mr. Holland seemed to have found faith tonight, but I don't get it. He got it. I don't get it. Finally, sometime later, as the story unfolds. On a Sunday, during a worship service, and what does Charles Wesley write from his experience from that morning? He writes these words, Finally, today, I found it. I saw by faith, I stood, though of myself I am always sinking in sin. So I went to bed, sensing my weakness, but finally now confident in Christ. And this was the moment that Charles Wesley says he trusted Jesus as his Savior and received Christ. And now we know Charles Wesley many years later as one of the greatest church planters and hymn writers of all time. He wrote more than 6,000 hymns, some of which we still know and, and sing today. So once Charles Wesley got it, he became alive in Christ, and his life started bearing much fruit for God. What is the it 
that these two men record in their journals that they got. What is the it? It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, our Savior. They got it, and they received it, the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, how this raises a lot of questions that we can ask. How could those guys have missed the truth behind God's word that they were reading and studying together all those, all those nights together? How could they have missed it for so long? How could William Holland get it and become alive in Jesus on one night when Charles Wesley didn't, but then weeks later, Charles Wesley just got it on that night? How does that happen? How do you know if the gospel has come to you and you have gotten it? And if it has come to you, how do you know what you should do now with the rest of your life? Here's some more questions. How do you grow in that? How now shall you live? It's a famous question once you meet Christ. How do you overcome the things that are attacking you? These are questions in our life. What makes our lives meaningful and significant? Question we're all asking. And these are questions that we, together in this Colossians sermon series, are going to answer throughout our time together over the coming weeks. The sermon series is called Christ Greater Than All. And we're going to see that unfold in lots of different ways and answer these questions and a whole lot more. And today we're going to start it by talking about the subject, Bearing the Fruit of the Gospel. This is where Paul begins in Colossians. And so I'm going to ask Chris, he's ready, he's going to come down. Raise your hand if you do not have a Bible, and Chris will pass one of those out to you in English or Spanish. Go ahead and raise your hand, because I want everybody to open your Bibles right now and have these in, open in front of you to the book of Colossians. We're going to go verse by verse through this book, the first eight, chapter, first eight verses today. And there are sermon notes in your bulletin as well. If those help you follow along, that's a great tool. You can pull those out and have those in front of you. And before we go on, while you're opening your Bibles or, or getting Bibles, and, and you can keep those that you've got from Chris if you don't have a Bible, as we're getting there, I, I want to take an opportunity to say uh, a word to you all, a word of thanks from our family. Uh, I didn't speak at the, at the commissioning prayer because uh, everybody knew I was going to have my chance here and, uh, and talk for a while. So I'm going to take the opportunity right now to say we moved to Warsaw on January 1st. And uh, that's about five weeks, a little more. And you, church family, have been so welcoming to us. I mean, this, this has been just a, a wonderful experience. So uh, we moved, and we didn't have a house to move into. So I know there was a crew that cleaned the rental house that helped us move into it. Then a week later, when we could move into our new house, uh, more cleaning, more helping move, uh, meals provided, a lot of prayers, a lot of encouragement. And we've been building friendships already by my kids have had a great time these first five weeks, uh, and they've been making friends. All these things are answered to prayers, and I just want to say thank you for me, for my family, and I even caught myself enjoying shoveling my, my uh, sidewalk a couple days ago. Does anybody still enjoy that? I don't. That's not going to last, is it? <laughs> oh, man, I know that's not going to last, but I really enjoyed it. I was having a good time shoveling snow in the sun. It was great. Where I came from, there wasn't a lot of sun. Um, so praise God. 
So the first thing we're going to do now is we're going to, if you, have, if you see your notes, point number one, we are going to connect with the gospel-receiving Colossians. We're going to connect with the gospel-receiving Colossians because the Bible comes alive in our lives when we bring our lives into it. All right, yes, it was written in an ancient context, but it is the living, breathing, active, inspired word of God that is always time, timely in all of our lives in any situation that we'll ever face. It's our absolute authority, and it is the only book that's alive. So we are going to walk a Holy Spirit power journey with the Colossians. And so we need to know what they were facing and connect our worldview, our lens that we process life with theirs. So here's a little bit about what's going on. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this new, young, exciting church that was around for about five years in the city of Colossae. And here's a couple pictures to help us connect with the beautiful mountainside, kind of where that is in modern-day Turkey. Now, Colossae was in a trade route from the east to west. And I'll show you this map here. You can see it's removed from the coast. It's uh, connected with Ephesus. And Paul wrote the letter from imprisonment in Rome, a long ways away. Epaphras was the pastor of this church, and he had visited Paul all the way in Rome and brought a report to him and back from him, as we'll see later in our text today. So this gives you a little bit of information about this young, exciting church that wanted to grow in Christ. It was understanding the gospel, had received it, but there was being in that trade route, in that hot spot. Uh, they were inundated with all sorts of philosophies and religions and cults and ideas, bad ideas and false teachers all abounded right there. And already we're connecting with the Colossians because there's never been more of a melting pot of ideas, good and bad, religions, cults, philosophies, as there are in America. This is the biggest melting pot that's ever been. And it's not just in New York anymore, in L.A., in Chicago. It's everywhere. In fact, we have every idea in the world and every false religion and philosophy and distortion and distraction and everything evil all in our pockets now. Okay, so we need to know and be able to discern biblical truth more than ever. So friends, let's get into the word, the living, breathing word that we have here. And we're going to get into the particular false teachings of that day in more detail later. As Paul goes through the, the Colossians and he'll identify some of the common philosophies of that day. Uh, but it's important for us to say, to know at least what was going on um, at that time, some of the philosophies out there were that only spiritual things could be holy, anything material would be evil. And so therefore, since Jesus was a walking, breathing human, a material person, he must therefore be not be able to be the son of God, which of course under, <laughs> pulls the rug out of all of Christian theology and every Christian belief that Jesus is the Son of God. And so you can see the importance of addressing these kind of false teachings. And there are others, and we'll compare and, and contrast those beliefs of that day with the, with the ones that are prevalent and common in our society today as we go. So Paul wants to focus in Colossians on the preeminence of Christ above all things. What does that mean? What is the preeminence of Christ above all things? You know what that means? It means Christ is 
greater than all. And we're going to explore everything that that means and how that applies to our lives. But let me ask you right now, do you find other things in life as more important than Christ? Think about this. Do you find other things in life more satisfying than Jesus? More powerful than Jesus? More exciting than Jesus? If you do, then listen to the words of Paul in Colossians and rediscover the real Jesus together. Or discover for the first time. And I pray the Holy Spirit does a great work on us today and every week. So let's get started. In the text, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 first. Let's read these together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing it with Timothy, because you know Jesus taught us never to do anything alone in isolation, We're to make disciples, and Paul lived that. He never did anything without having somebody with him that he was teaching and training. In this case, Timothy was right there, his young disciple. All right, so he writes to the saints and faithful brethren. Why does he say two different things there, saints and faithful brethren? Aren't, aren't those the same thing? No, they're not. They're two different things. One is the saints. If you've trusted in Jesus, you are saints. This is New Testament theology. God has sanctified you. He's, you're, he has made you holy positionally in him. God sees you and he sees Jesus Christ. Okay, that's your position. But faithful is their condition. You can be saved by Jesus and not be faithful. All right, so in this case, though, Paul has heard the report and he's called them faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. I've heard that you are faithful. So underline that word in, in your Bible, if you have a pen in, in your Bible, or just take note of the word faithful. And today we're going to see that we need to work diligently at being faithful and at being fruitful. And we're going to see how those two terms correspond with each other, being faithful and fruitful. And if I were to write a letter to the Church of Community Grace, based on what I've seen and experienced so far, I would write to the saints and faithful brethren. Because it's obvious and it's apparent that this is a body of believers who wants to grow in Christ, individually, in our homes, and together as a church, and make a difference in this world, and lift him up and, and honor him in all that it means to be in Christ. So let's keep it up. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's the opening to Colossians. And now that we and Paul have connected with the Colossians, what are we going to do in the rest of our text today? Point two is we are going to celebrate the gospel's life-changing fruit. In verse three, Paul writes next, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God. Just dwell on that. Always thank. This is a statement of constant praise. This is a celebration. And the things we're going to talk about now are worthy of celebrating. And so that's the mindset we need to have right now. And it's God that we thank. We don't say we're lucky 
No, we attribute everything good in life to God, the giver of all good things, not to luck. Okay, and what is all the good that's worth celebrating? Paul's got a lot of it to include. Let's start here with the characteristics of the Christian life that are brought about by the life-changing fruit of the gospel. That's point A. We're going to look at some unique features of the Christian life that are brought about by the life-changing fruit of the gospel. Unique features of the Christian life. This is what makes us special in Christ. Note the three bolded words on the screen with verses 4 and 5 on the screen. And underline these in your Bible if you would too, or just take note of them. Verses 4 and 5. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Some unique features, characteristics of the Christian life. Paul often summarizes the Christian life with these three words, faith, hope, and love. Or in this case, the order is faith, love, and hope. Let's take a moment to distinguish these things. These are, these are big fruits of being alive in Christ in our lives, of the gospel. And let's celebrate that Jesus Christ has given them to us, right? Okay, first of all is faith. What is faith? Faith is the beginning of our walk with Christ. It takes faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and receive him as our Savior. Faith is, is a commitment to trust in something or trust in another person. Jesus Christ is that person in whom we have faith. And we become increasingly faithful to him because we realize more and more that we are alive in Christ, that we are comforted in Christ, that we are rooted and anchored in Christ that we are empowered in Christ, that we have meaning in our lives and we're bearing fruit in Christ. And as we become more aware of that, we become more faithful and filled with faith. And Christians, brothers and sisters, you can rest completely assured that our identity is in Christ. It's not in those external religious practices anymore. Remember in our opening story, it's not based on your performance. It's not based on how good you do. Your identity is not based on how successful you are in business or how well you perform on a test or some other kind of performance or how many friends you have. Your identity is in Christ. And identity is important. Identity is everything. Because once you know who you are, then you know what to do. Let me say that again. Once you know who you are, your identity, then you know what to do. And that brings us to love. This is the big fruit of being a Christ follower. Love. Love is our faith in Christ lived out. This is the action. Love is a choice that we make. Love is the fruit of your faith. And it's the proof that you have faith in Jesus and that he has given you life. And if you can't love the unlovable in your life, then you need to question your faith in Christ. Because this is a fruit of being in Christ. That you can love that unlovable person. And Jesus takes it all the way to loving your enemies. This is who we are. And the natural person, person is selfish by nature. But the fact is that Christ followers can love. And the fact is that these people in Colossae, the Colossians, 
It says right here in the text, loved all the saints, all right? All the saints. That's proof that they were made alive in Christ, that he had given them that power, that fruit from the gospel. And then hope. Hope is the ground, the foundation upon which faith and love are based because hope is both a subjective feeling. Okay, we are excited because we have hope. So I'm getting older. I don't care because I'm getting, I have hope of eternity. Amen? So it's that subjective feeling that makes us extremely happy to love, happy to have faith. But hope is also the objective assurance that we are secured in Christ. We are secured in Christ. We're bought by his blood. And no one and no demonic power Nothing can take that away from us. That is our hope, Christ followers, brothers and sisters. This is what we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. But where does this hope come from? Where does that hope come from? Paul tells us in verse 5. Let's read verse 5 again. Of this, the second part of it, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. All of this comes from the gospel. Let's make sure we all know what the gospel is. We're going to look at where Paul leads us next is some exciting truths about the gospel. First of all, what is it? What is the, gospel, the word gospel? What does that literally mean? Good news. All right, good news. Just kind of meditate on this. We have some good news. That's actually understated. This is great news. This is the best news in all the universe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he came to live as one of us, to pay the penalty of our sins, to die for us, to rise again from the dead and kill death. That we might live. That we might be part of him, his family, his kingdom, his mission, his purpose, his life. All right, so that's the gospel. So I, wanna, I just want to show 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, which is the simplest, clearest statement of the gospel written in the Bible. Okay, this is what Paul says. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It's good two verses to memorize so you know the power of the gospel in your life. Here's what it is. Paul writes to the Corinthians, For I deliver to you as of first importance, first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. All the Old Testament looked forward to that. Okay, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with all that was prophesied in the scriptures. That's the gospel, okay? Pretty simple, simple to understand. It takes the faith of a child to receive, but hard to actually die to yourself enough to receive it. But that's the power that's in us, the power of the gospel. So here are some exciting truths about the gospel that we need to celebrate. And back in verse four, the first one, if you're taking notes, is it centers in a person. The gospel centers in a person. Who's that person? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Verse 4 again, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. The theme of this series is that Christ is greater than all. Everything. He is greater than all your enemies, all your fears, all your problems. He's greater than all your temptations. He's greater than anything that brings you anxieties or depressions. He's greater than anything that enslaves you. He's greater than anything that isolates you or discourages you or embitters you towards other people. 
He is greater than all. He's greater than all presidents and kings, all pursuits, anything in the spiritual realm. He is all-powerful and the only one who saves and is worthy of our worship and the giving of our lives to follow and to serve and to please and to love the world. Now, the false teachers in Colossae were doing everything they could to try to disrupt the believers in this church and make them think that Jesus Christ was not this great. All right? Maybe Jesus was real, maybe, but he's not really relevant to aspects of my life. That's false teaching. The gospel is our power in life, and it's who we are, it's identity. And that's in the person of Jesus Christ. And he deserves the place number one in all of our lives, all aspects of our life. Okay, get this. Let me not be unclear. He is number one in all aspects of our life. Number two, from verse five, the gospel is the word of the truth. The gospel came from God and therefore, unlike any other human philosophy or religion or concept or thought, it came from God and so it is pure truth. The gospel is. And it can be trusted unlike anything else in the world. It can be completely trusted. This list continues in verse 6. The gospel, let's look at verse 6. The gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So three more quick characteristics, exciting truths about the gospel. First, it comes to us and is received by faith. So the gospel is newer to Colossae. It hasn't been around that long. It came to Colossae. Somebody brought it there. It's good news that was brought there. So it comes to us. When we pray to know God, He brings the gospel's truth to us. And when it came, they received it. And that's on us. That's what we need to do. We do the same thing. And when we do, we become alive and start bearing fruit. Our lives have meaning. Number four, it is for the whole world. I mean the whole world. Let me illustrate what I mean by the whole world. A pastor once did an exercise with his church and asked the, the general question, I don't know if this is on social media or what, but he took a survey of his church and said, if, if you could come up with one gift, one thing that would be good for you to give the whole world, every, every person in the world, what could it be? What do you think it would be? And he received a lot of answers, and then he started responding to those answers. Food was one answer. Maybe a, a popular answer. Well, actually, not everybody in the world needs more food. Okay, water. Uh, a lot of people in the world live really close to fresh water. It's not a need for every person in the world to give as a gift. Okay, clothing. Not everybody needs more clothing. Some people live in places that are so perfect weather-wise, you don't even need clothes. It's out there. So what is a gift that could be for the whole world? Money. Well, not every culture uses money. Plenty of people don't need any more money. 
So as we think through this, what is the gift that every person, every person in the whole world could use or that needs? And they came to the logical and biblically true conclusion that the gospel is the only thing that every person in the world needs. Because without Jesus, everybody stands condemned in their sins, alienated from God, cut off from God, not knowing God, enemies with God. And we can't make it to God and to eternal life without the gospel, without the good news about Jesus Christ and receiving that. So Paul has this mission of God always in mind as he writes. He always just doesn't want to keep it to ourselves, but that the whole world would receive it from us. Jesus always had that mission in his mind, and we should too, Community Grace, always have this mission in our minds. It is for the whole world. And I've enjoyed meeting a few of Community Grace's missionaries so far and in the Mission Commission. I'm a big missions guy, and I can't wait to get further into that realm of bringing the gospel wherever in the world God has given us influence. Can't wait for the chili cook-off. I'm a big fan of chili, spicy especially. But that event is all about missions and good times and good food as well. So that's March 22nd. Um, We are on Jesus' mission because it's for the whole world. And then finally, it is bearing fruit. It is bearing fruit. The gospel message, Jesus is alive, and it's bearing fruit and increasing. And this is our key word today, fruit. Are our lives bearing fruit for God? What does Jesus say about bearing fruit? He says a lot, actually. Let me point out a couple things that Jesus said. In John 15, he says this, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, so who's bearing much fruit in their lives? The person who's in abiding with Jesus. Are you abiding with him? Are you praying to God every day? Are you in his word every day? Are you in the fellowship of his people, active in the church, about his mission? Are you abiding in Jesus without that? And you know this by now, without that, your life isn't bearing fruit, is it? So abide with Jesus together. Jesus is not unclear why you are a Christian, if you are. He says this, I chose you so that you will go and bear fruit. Pretty cool, huh? He chose us so that we can go and bear fruit. What are some of the fruits we're talking about today? Faith, love, to show love to the world that it doesn't know otherwise. Hope, to bring hope to the world. Truth, to bring truth to the world. Light, bring light to the world. Worship, the worship of the right things that will bring us life. Freedom. We have the message of freedom, peacemaking, fun, joy, happiness, fruits that God chose us to go and produce in the world. So when the Apostle Paul talks about hearing, bearing fruit, he describes it as a miraculous revolution that's happening inside of us. It's called the Holy Spirit. And he calls them the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, and we talk about the fruit of the Spirit often in our home. Here's a picture. Uh, We've had the fruit of the Spirit on our dining room wall for years now, and we've just put it up at our house in Warsaw recently. And so you can see that it's a help to always be talking about, do you believe in Jesus? 
Is his spirit in you? Do you have the gospel? Here's the fruit that we bring to the world. Who can say the, the fruit of the spirit? Whether you can read it on the screen or maybe you've memorized the song. Have you memorized the song? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What is it? Gen- <laughs> I have to look my notes. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self. Just ask my kids. They know the song. Let's go to the next slide. Here they are from Scripture. It's important not to just sing the song and, and be done with it. Meditate on each. And the way that because you're in Christ, you can bring these things to the world like no one else can. And that's what you've been tasked to do and enabled to do. I want you to examine your lives with me right now. Is there any distress in your life at all right now? Any discomfort or stress? You know what that is? If you're anything short of utterly joyful in your life, despite the circumstances of life, that's the lack of the fruit of joy in your life. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is bigger than what you're facing. Are you experiencing ongoing anger? What is that? That's the lack of the fruit of love in your life. That's what it is. Are you experiencing anxiety? And I'm not talking about the medical disorder. I'm talking about the stresses that leave you anxious and floundering in life. That's the lack of the fruit of peace. And you can pray by the power of Jesus Christ to the Holy Spirit to bring you that fruit in your life. You have access to that. Or maybe we are the ones causing the lack of peace. That would be the lack of self-control in your life. And we talk about that one often in our home. And not just for the kids either. The lack of the fruit of self-control that we have by the Spirit. All of your problems today, if you're a Christian and you say, you know, well, the gospel saved me, and of course I believe that Jesus died for me and so on, but now I've lost the fire. I'm stuck. Okay, I, don't, I seem far away from God. I, I don't really know what he wants me to do next. I've lost that fire. You know, we saw this, if you were here last week, we saw six baptism testimonies from the young people in our church, and we saw that in some of those baptisms. We heard that. We have, we have trusted Jesus, but there was a time that I walked away from him, and I've lost that fire, but now I have returned to him. And this is a message for everybody, an example for everybody. If you're stuck in a place like that in your life right now, do that. Return to the gospel that saved you. Go back to Jesus the author and finisher of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 2 says. And that will bring you all the good fruits of being in Christ and will direct your life on what you should do now. And with that, I want to just encourage you to take a couple next steps as we conclude. The first is Become alive in Christ today. I'm not going to assume that everybody here has given their life to Christ, but maybe you have heard the gospel this morning and it's making sense, and you say, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to do that right now. Jesus has paid the price for your sins already. You just need to receive his gift, believe in him, and you can say that 
in your own hearts where you sit right now. Are you getting it today? Maybe you're getting it for the first time today. Give Him your life right now, today, and then let us know so we can walk with you in all the following steps to come in this great life. And then second, this is for everyone here, take steps of commitment. Commitment to Christ, commitment to this church that He's placed you in, where to grow gospel fruit in your life this coming year. I'm going to encourage you to take steps of commitment to knowing Jesus. Okay, that's our vertical relationship with God. Take steps to know Him, be in His Word. Go to a Bible study or a small group that you're not in yet. Grow in Him in your spiritual disciplines, in your leading devotions in your household. Let's get it powered up. Commitment to know Jesus. Next is commitment to grow and grow Jesus' church. That's our horizontal relationships from person to person. So whether it's here on Sunday mornings to be faithful here in corporate worship or in the community of a small group, the Sunday schools, the serving in ministry with, with ministry teams, there's lots of them. I'm not going to read a whole bunch of examples. You know, if you're interested in something, whether it's connection relationally or to start serving, uh, just start asking leaders in this church and you'll find it. We'll get you connected. Finally, commit to fulfilling Jesus' mission. Support the church's missions work and get out there and invite people to church and tell them why you have so much hope. It's because of Jesus. Commit yourselves to these things and we'll be more specific in the, in the weeks and months ahead with a lot of these things. But right now, if you pray a prayer of commitment, uh, it's going to go far. Before I close in prayer, I want to say a personal word. One last personal word. And that is from verses 7 and 8. Did anybody else notice that we skipped verses 7 and 8? How many people notice that? Raise your hand. Uh, we have some sharp people out there. All right, so verses 7 and 8. I don't want to leave it un uncovered. I want to just say a personal word to conclude as I'm standing in this pulpit for the first time as lead pastor. Verses 7 and 8, such a cool little uh, aside from, from the Apostle Paul. Let's look at the verses. Just as you, or just listen to them. Paul writes, just as you learned it, that's the gospel, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras was their pastor. How did they hear and learn about the gospel? They learned about it from their church leaders who were, who were faithful. And I want to say that I have noticed and experienced already what a great mix of strong godly leadership we have in this church throughout the church in every area and we're ready to grow and be even stronger and lead well and serve well and i just wanted to encourage all the leaders here of anything whether it's small groups or children's ministry or just in your households so many people are in leadership to be faithful to jesus he's worth it and you'll be fruitful in your work and then I want to say to everybody else who's led by someone spiritually at Community Grace, and that's all of us. That's all of us. Encourage your leaders. You know, as I, as I meet leaders in the church of various things, um, they're like Epaphras. They're sticking their necks out for you. And they're, they're bearing a burden. Um, if you just encourage your leaders this week, whoever's a spiritual mentor or leader of a ministry that you're involved in, you might be the one who helps them stay in the ministry for years and years or 
removes them from the ledge of, of burnout. Would you encourage your leaders today too? That was Epaphras. I'd like to get to know Epaphras. Um, he sounds like a pretty, pretty awesome guy. Faithful guy and fruitful by God's grace. Next week, we're going to talk more, uh, get, get into the text more, and we're going to talk a little bit about vision for the future as Paul looks forward and prays for future fruit. That's next week. We invite everybody to come back. Let's close in prayer right now. Lord, I thank you so much for this lesson from your word that's alive and active on being faithful and being fruitful. And we thank you that's not just based on our performance or our skill or our hard work. Praise the Lord. It's based on our identity in Christ and your power. And the fact that when we're weak, that's when we prove you to be strong. Lord, I pray you'll bless us all and and unite us all now as we close in a final song and then go out into the mission field, into into the work of of our lives with the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.